0: One, two, Here's two, two one, two. Bark.
1: Seagulls float between the buildings, born on the back of the wind. Tower clock strikes in the cold night air, and it sounds a
2: Welcome to the John Lennon Hour with Jude Sutherland-Kessler, author of the John Lennon series. Volume 1, Should Have Been There. Volume 2, Shivering Inside. And
1: Volume 3, She Loves You. Purchase your copy of the John Lennon series at johnlennonseries.com.
3: Welcome, Beatles fans. This is the John Lennon Hour.
1: For me. Home again. Well hello
3: everyone and welcome to another fun Thursday on the 9 and tonight we are going to have a great time. It's not often that you get to talk to a Beatles expert, a true Beatles expert live and in person and ask him or her your questions, things like, I have a Beatles album that I think is is valuable. Well, this is what it looks like. Is it valuable or not? Or tell me the different iterations of the Ballad of John and Yoko and which one you prefer and why, things like that. Tonight, our expert is a true music aficionado, someone who knows more about Beatles records and Beatles music than anyone on the planet. I posted on LinkedIn yesterday, join us on Thursday evening at 9 p.m. to talk live with Beatles expert Bruce Spicer. And immediately, someone wrote back to me and said, yeah, yeah, everybody's an expert. Well, when you have written... These Books The Beatles on Apple Records The Beatles Solo on Apple Records Beatles for Sale on Parlophone Records The Beatles Are Coming The Beatles Swan Song The Beatles on VJ Records The Beatles Story on Capitol Records Part 1 The Beatles Story on Capitol Records Part 2 and then a revised and expanded digital book of the Beatles on VJ Records, and now you're releasing an expanded and revised Beatles on Capitol Records Volume 1 book. That qualifies you to be an expert, don't you think? I think so. Not only that, but when the good folks at Trivial Pursuit scratch their head and think, who in America do we want to write the questions for our Trivial Pursuit game in honor of the Beatles, and they call Bruce Beiser, I think that makes you an expert. And when you are the person that they want to speak at the Fest for Beatles fans in New York, Chicago, and Los Angeles, at Abbey Road on the River, at Beatles Fest West, and all points in between, I think that means you're a Beatles expert. So we are very lucky to have someone who knows just about anything that you can throw at him tonight about Beatles music. And the number to call is 646-668-2641. Again, 646-668-2641. And we'll be taking calls in just about 10 minutes. But first, let's bring Bruce on the line because I have a Really important question that I want to ask him. Let's see if we have him here from New Orleans. Bruce, are you I'm there? Here.
4: I'm here. Well, can what you do you think?
3: Me? I I can hear you wonderfully well. Welcome to the show, my friend.
4: Glad to be back.
3: Well, it's wonderful to have you here. I would say you're qualified to be a Beatles expert. Don't you think so?
4: Well, uh, certainly I think I would be in that category, As as would you, and I'm sure many of your listeners as well.
3: <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree. And they do. This is a savvy audience. They really do know their stuff. Well, we are, we're thrilled to have you here. And I really am excited about what you're doing with these new digital books because you're not just turning your book. When I did, Should Have Been There and She Loves You and Shivering is an e-book. I just transferred them over to e-book but you have a great idea you're expanding them and making them more complete with new data new information what gave you that idea it was a great one
4: well i wish i could say it was my idea but it really wasn't Uh, my first four books have sold out the vj book the two capitals and the apple book and uh, i was getting emails from people saying you know in the secondary market these books are several hundred dollars and, uh, you know, why don't you reprint them? And I said, well, the economics may not be there. And some of the younger people out there said, well, have you ever considered doing it as a digital ebook? And I thought, well, I don't even own a digital e-book, you know. I, so, But <laughs> when I thought about it, I thought, well, you know, it would give me an opportunity to revise and expand the books. When you're doing a print edition, you know, you have certain constraints. Uh, each time you add a page, you really need to think in terms of 16 pages, because they're done in 16-page signatures. So, you know, if you're adding a couple of pages, it might not make economic sense, so you don't add them. Right. And with this book, you don't have that constraint. It doesn't really cost any more to, to add information. And it also gave me the opportunity to, you know, the VJ book was written way back in 1998, and... Yeah. um You know, i discovered new things since then. After the VJ book came out, you know, people started sending me stuff. Hey, did you know about this? Or my research would uncover things. And um, about a year ago, uh, we were able to get the VJ record certified gold and platinum. So that Mm -hmm. would be something, you know, we could add to it. And and the great thing about a digital e-book is, you know, you come out with your book and let's say you just make a, a dumb error, you know, And, Hmm. you know, you knew better, but it it got by you and your proofreaders, and someone catches it, and you say, oh, I'll go ahead and correct that. So you correct it, and then you do, you know, a version 1.1. You send out notice to the people who have already downloaded the book, and you say, hey, you can download this new edition. Um, You know, and the new edition has it correct. So with a print book, you can't really do that. And I, I really like that. I also like the fact that, you know, it looks so damn good on an iPad, <laughs> you know, the bright colors. <laughs> Plus, you can expand things. You know, you look at a at a picture and you want more detail and you just take your fingers and spread them. And all of a sudden, you know, you've got that increased size of the image. Or if you look at a record label and you increase the size of it, you can see, oh, well, that label clearly says McCartney-Lennon rather than Lennon-McCartney. Gee, that's interesting. So there's so many things you can do. With a digital book, you can have links where you tap it and it takes you to an earlier page in the book. And I installed in the um, formatting of something we call the get back key, and you
2: tap it and it takes
4: you back to where you were reading. (laughs)
1: and,
4: And external links. I mean, so I really got into it, and I think I best describe it this way. You know, I still play vinyl records at home, but when I'm on vacation, the only way I can listen to music is on my iPhone. Sure. And by the same thing, you know, I I love books, but you know, if I'm on an airplane trip, I don't want to lug around a couple of four-pound books when I can just take out my iPad and read them. So I think there is a place for both formats, and you know, I'm really enjoying the exciting things you can do in the digital format.
3: Yeah, I think it's wonderful. I've been over this last week reading The Beatles on Capitol Records Volume 1 on digital, and if I come to a word that I want to know more about, I put my finger on it. If you have the e-dictionary, it comes right up. If I see something that I want to make a note about, then I just touch my notes. It comes up. I type in my note very quickly. I go right back to the book. There's so many convenient things about that digital book.
4: There really are, and... And, you know, as I said, I like the fact that you, because you're not constrained with pages, uh, you know, you can add things that you normally wouldn't put in. And if it's something someone doesn't like, they don't even have to turn the page. They just flip their finger and it just moves you right on. So, you know, with that and uh, the table of contents, you just turn to the table of, you know, touch, you go to the table of contents. You want to read about paperback writer, you look at the paperback writer sleeve, you tap it, you're there. So a lot of cool things about it.
3: Very cool, very cool. Well, we're going to talk more about that because I want to find out about some of the things that you've added, but the question I've been wanting to ask all week, I can't wait to hear the answer to this, is you know, we know about you as an author, we know about you as a music expert, and that you write for Beatles fan magazine, and you, you really are the go-to person for Beatles records and Beatles music, and but I don't know a thing about Bruce, the fan. So how did you become a Beatles fan? Did, did you get to see the Beatles when they came to New Orleans?
4: Well, we'll, we'll start at the beginning. I, I began listening to the radio around age two. I had older sisters that had radios, and one of my first sentences was, Mommy, I want a radio. And <laughs> I got one at an early age, and I would listen to WTIX, which is the top 40 station in New Orleans. My yeah. favorite group was the Coasters. And... Uh, you know, and we had a radio on the school bus, and I remember in very early January of 64, right after we went back to school, hearing, I want to hold your hand on the school bus radio, and yeah. it just was, you know, wow, that's that's really different, and it's really exciting. And I, and I was hooked from, from the start, and I'm a big fan since then. And uh, when the Beatles came to New Orleans, I was nine years old, and of course I wanted to go to the concert, and the only way I could go, I had two older sisters, one of them, it was her 16th birthday. And I know your listeners are thinking, oh, your sisters love the Beatles. You got to go. Wrong. My sister like <laughs> Barbara Streisand, Peter, Paul, and Mary, and have no interest in going to a concert with a bunch of screaming people. And so on her birthday, you know, we had, you know, cake at the house, and I didn't get yeah. to go. And uh, my therapist tells me in another two or three years, I might even speak to her again. You know, it's possible. <laughs> No, actually, I you know, I love my sister. I un- I understand the decision. I thought, gee, I'll see them when they come back to New Orleans, but alas, they never did.
3: Oh, oh, that is—it's just heartbreaking. That's heartbreaking. So, did you you never did see them in person?
4: Never did get to see the group perform live. No.
3: Of course, you've you've seen Paul, I'm sure, many times, and probably concerts oh, yeah.
4: concert. <laughs> yeah, yes.
3: you've made up for it.
4: I, I made up for it as best I could. I even saw George in Baton Rouge louisiana on the dark horse tour when his voice was completely shot but i did see him. oh uh,
3: uh, that did you ever see john
4: no never did no
3: yeah yeah we all missed out on that we really did well i have been dying to know that's a great story and i'm i'm just i don't know what we're gonna do with your sister we're, we're going to have to think of something appropriate for her
2: <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> well we are going to open the phone line so if you're wanting to talk to bruce please go ahead and call in 646- 6682641 and while we're waiting tell us about the Beatles on Capitol Records volume 1 it is definitely revised definitely expanded i mean you've added quite a lot tell us what's new
4: well you know the idea behind the book was to cover all the a brief history of beatlemania and then all the capitol singles issued during the 60s so that would be i want to hold your hand through lady madonna And in it, I go through how the songs were written, how they were recorded, and uh, along the way, you also have bits of, you know, sales information, how they were marketed by Capitol, because there were more U.S. singles than U.K. singles, and there were different B-sides sometimes. And Mm -hmm. I explain, you know, why was I saw standing there, the B-side, rather than this boy, to I Want to Hold Your Hand? Capital wanted rockers on both sides. Uh, You know, why did you have I Should Have Known Better as b B-side to A Hard Day's Night rather than the wonderful song things we said today because right. i should have known better was in the movie in capital was trying to compete with the united artists soundtrack album by releasing simultaneously three singles with songs from the movie so you know it explains why those things were done uh, and then the revised edition going back you find some new things uh, there was an interview with paul where he said he got the idea for lady madonna From a magazine he was reading in a doctor's office, and they had some caption "Mountain Madonna, and it showed this woman with a baby at her breast. And Uh so we were able to actually find, it was an issue of National Geographic, and the caption indeed said, Mount Madonna with a child at her breast. And Mm -hmm. so, boom, you know, that was the inspiration for Lady Madonna. And an image of that, the National Geographic article, is right in the book. So, you know, it's fun when you can do things uh, along that line. And then new things, you know, I realized that we didn't really have in the book, here's a book called The Singles, but it doesn't Mm -hmm. have anything about the 45 RPM record. And, you know, you and I might think, well, everyone knows that, but when I remember giving a talk a few years ago, um, you know, and, and in it I was talking about the Beatles 45s, and this little kid innocently raised his hand, he said, you mean the Beatles had guns? (laughs) <laughs> and I had to kind of explain what a 45 was. So I realized, you know, maybe I should add a chapter about the history of the 45. And I, and I knew RCA invented it. But what I didn't realize until I did the research was that Capitol Records was the first other company to grasp that technology. And I found just this incredibly interesting ad that Capital ran in its monthly music book, uh, you know, on launching its 45 record. And then, you know, the jukeboxes weren't sure whether the 45 was going to catch on or not. So I have right. a little bit of the history of how Seabird Corporation worked that in. And so that was kind of fun. And then I remembered, you know, these jukeboxes. You know, you go in a jukebox in the 60s and you could play an album side. It would only be three songs for a quarter. And I did a little research on that and learned all kind of things about that, which was cool. And then I think the, the one that I really had fun playing with was that, you know, Capital had turned down the Beatles. And the reason that they did was that they had put out all these records by British artists that they, you know, leased stuff from EMI, and they didn't sell well. And uh, I thought, well, what did Capital put out that would make them think these records wouldn't sell? And there was a memo Dave Dexter had written where he talked about, you know, we put out a Ron Goodwin record that sold this many copies and things like that. Mm-hmm. And I went back through Dexter's memo figured out what songs they were, Dexter had the sales figures, and I went ahead and did a chart on it, and then I thought, well, what if I wrote about each of the different records? And so in doing so, I learned a lot of fun stuff. I mean, there was um, a record by someone named Cliff Townsend. And I went, well, who's Cliff Townsend? Oh, that's Pete Townsend's father. That's cool. (laughs) You know, and so you'd find out things like this, you know. And then um, there was one by Sharky Todd and his Monsters, and I had a Vipers box set, and that was on there. So I learned Sharky Todd was the guy who was the lead singer for the Vipers. What was cool about it was the record was produced by George Martin, and Martin sent a letter to Dave Dexter at Capitol saying, hey, this is a record I think you should put out. Capitol did put out the record. It only sold a few hundred copies, but what I don't think George Martin knew was on the record label the production credit was given and I'm not making this up. It said produced by Dracula's mother. <laughs> so I I don't know if Sir George was ever called Dracula's mother again in his entire career.
1: <laughs> That's but
4: you know it <laughs> and, and, and it leads to this great trivia question um and that is to name a recording artist who Was on Capitol Records prior to them signing the Beatles, had a single out on Capitol, and then later on played on a Beatles recording. Yeah. And the answer is Don Lang, who had a 45 out on Capitol in the late 50s called Ramshackle Daddy. And you might say, well, who's Don Lang? He played trombone on Revolution One. Oh, my gosh.
1: There's a lot of fun little
4: things like that and crazy stuff. You know, all these singles had you know little little fun stories about them, and you know, and it really was one of my favorite sections to do. And and we're talking about records that sold. You know, some sold yeah. a couple of hundred copies, some sold a few thousand. You, Laurie London's, he's got the whole world in his hands. Sold over a million. Mm-hmm. The only one that was, was a million seller. Ron Goodwin did an instrumental that sold about a hundred and two thousand. But everything else pretty low. Some records were even listed as selling minus copies which i guess that means they you know pressed 300 promotional copies and it only sold 200 copies Aww. so it was minus 100 so that's say you know, pretty interesting stuff
3: that is interesting stuff. Well, I love this. I mean, you've you've really widened the scope of what Capitol actually accomplished. And so there's there's also not just a focus on the Beatles records, but what Capitol contributed and the people mm-hmm. that were in the same arena with the Beatles. Well, we have a caller who is waiting to talk to you. So let's see if we can bring him on the line. All right. Hey, caller from the 630 Area Code. Well, hi, guys. This is Kid O'Toole. Hey, she's back from the islands, Bruce. I know,
4: I know kid. How you doing, kid? <laughs>
0: good, Bruce. How are you? Fine, yep. thank you. Oh, God, just it's so good to hear him.
3: your voice. We are glad you're home. You were very missed.
0: Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, It was hurt, hard to get away from that beach, but, you know, had to come back to <laughs> real life.
3: <laughs> well, welcome back to the States, and you are another person who knows Beatles music backwards, forwards, upside down, and sideways, so I bet you have a phenomenal question for Bruce.
0: Oh gosh, no pressure or anything. Well <laughs> None. None. Thank never you, any pressure.
3: <laughs> no,
0: no, actually the, the what you were just talking about dovetails perfectly into my question. Um uh, uh Bruce, I wonder if you could you could talk about you know, I, I had a conversation with someone recently about the Beatles capital releases, and of course, how they uh came out with a couple box sets uh, of course um mm-hmm. with the and there are so many people who say why why do they keep getting released? Who cares? you know the u k releases are the quotes real releases, and why should we even care? About
4: the yeah. releases, yeah, um, and, I, and and younger people ask that uh, question to me a lot, and I, yeah, and I and that's because they grew up with the UK catalog from the CDs, but for the people who grew up with the Capitol catalog, this was how the Beatles were presented to us. It was what mm-hmm. we grew up with, and you know and it's easy to say well capital butchered the beatles and the butcher cover means that the first of all the butcher cover doesn't mean that right and secondly capital didn't butcher the beatles they marketed the beatles for the american public. and mm-hmm. you know bear in mind that this was done not just by capital every record company did it and not just in america in every country we were not we were not in a global community so the mm-hmm. idea was you marketed a group for its own market and if you look at what Capitol did, the crazy thing about it is most of these albums work really well. Mm-hmm. For example, Meet the Beatles was the perfect album for Americans to meet the Beatles. It took the Lennon-McCartney originals off of the album with the Beatles. It added George Harrison's, of course, Don't Bother Me. And the only mm-hmm. other non-Lennon-McCartney song was one Mom and Dad could like, Till There Was You, you know, from the Music Man. Sure. And the other thing Capitol did was Capitol believed hit singles sold hit albums. In the U.K., generally, they wouldn't put singles on the albums. Right, But Capitol started off Meet the Beatles with I Want to Hold Your Hand. I saw her standing there, the U.S. B-side, this boy, the British Mm B-side. And so when you compare Meet the Beatles and With the Beatles, look, With the Beatles is a great album. Sure. But look at at Meet the Beatles. If you were making an album and your job was to introduce the band to America— what song would you rather have on your album? I Want to Hold Your Hand or Devil in Her Heart? Right, exactly. That's case on that. Yeah, you get, sure. You know, the Beatles' second album, it has all these great rock and roll tunes left over from With the Beatles. It has Long Tall Sally. It has She Loves You. How can that not be a great album? It's a great <laughs> album. Sure. Uh, and then the ultimate case of Capitol getting it right is Magical Mystery Tour. In the U.K., Magical Mystery Tour was released on two 7-inch EPs, and the book was, you know, 7 by 7. Capitol said, EPs don't sell well in the States. We'll make it an album, and we'll put the Magical Mystery Tour songs on one side, and on the other side, we'll put these great singles, Hello, Goodbye, Strawberry Fields, Penny Mm -hmm. Lane, Baby, You're a Rich Man, All You Need is Love, and the booklet will be 12 by 12. A brilliant Mm -hmm. idea, and even the British, after nine years, realized this is the way to go, And they finally issued Magical Mystery Tour nine years after Capitol did in the U.S. And when the albums came out on CD, well, Magical Mystery Tour, as released by Capitol, is now part of the Beatles' core catalog. So it's it's really wrong to say that Capitol didn't get anything right and they ruined everything. They they didn't. Mm -hmm. They got a lot right. And, of course, one of the reasons they got a lot right was the music was great to begin with. Of course. Oh, absolutely. Well, Kit and
3: I are very big fans of Capitol's version of Help. Um, they made it a classic soundtrack, and they included everything from the movie, and everything from their packaging to their song selections were both really like their version of Help.
4: Yeah, you know, I mean, how many people, you know, when you think of the song Help, you think of the, the you know the pseudo James Bond theme opening first.
2: That's right. Before you
4: hear the song, and what could be better than blending James Bond and the Beatles? Right. <laughs> Doesn't get any better
3: than that. That's true. No. <laughs> but Kit, I heard a but coming in your question. Were you going to add something to that?
0: Oh no, I was just uh, you know I I just think it's it's interesting uh, uh, Bruce how you. You know, make the case for how they picked the the tracks they picked, you know, for mm-hmm. the American audience, um, and and which ones would be the best introduction. Uh,
4: you yeah, know, and introduction. and the other thing, and the other thing to bear in mind too, they didn't do drastic things. In other words, if you look at the running order of the songs, they're in the same running order as on the British albums in almost every case. Mm-hmm. So they, you know, they just added the singles and, you know, and and things like that. So it wasn't like a total restructuring. The one time that they really did something a little different and it worked great was Rubber Soul. Now, (laughs) Rubber Soul, as released in the U.K., is a brilliant album. So is the Capital version. They had two leftover songs from Help, the Help album, because in the U.K. they had a bunch more non-film songs. And they had not put out I've Just Seen a Face or It's Only Love. And they got the idea, let's drop you know, these rock-and-roll songs from Rubber Soul, like Drive My Car, and let's go ahead and replace them with the more folky-sounding songs that we had left over, so that Rubber Soul in the U.S. becomes a great folk rock album. And, you know, I've just seen a face which is kind of buried on Song 2 of the U.K. album. Right. opens up the Capitol album. It grabs you from the start.
2: <laughs> and
4: uh, and then they do the same running order as the U.K. album, so it's an absolutely brilliant album and, and people will say, Well, which is better? And and the answer I always give is it's like asking somebody, you know, to compare your favorite red wine to your favorite white wine. I mean they both right. are brilliant in their own way.
1: Absolutely.
0: Right. And and it just it just has amazed me and I'm 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 glad you I wanted to, to hear your view on it because it's amazing how this debate still rages <laughs> to this day. Yep. And yeah. and how there are people, as you said, Say you know the the yeah Capitol butchered uh, the the Beatles and and just wrecked all their albums and yeah, yeah. I don't think that's yep. a that's a fair assessment at all
3: no not at all
0: no
3: yeah definitely not well Kit we will see you week after next when you and I will be having the third Kit and Caboodle show talking about that <laughs> DECA audition
0: I'm so ready. I'm
3: I am looking I and mean, you've been putting out great articles about the different songs from that audition, so I know you are ready and I'm looking forward to it. We'll see you not next Thursday but the following Thursday.
0: I will be there. Thanks, Jude, and good talking Thank to you, you, Bruce.
3: Likewise. All right. Thank Bye you, bye-bye. Kit.
2: Thanks All so right. much. And
3: don't guys you can call in at six four six 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 eight twenty six. Forty-one, and I saw someone from the two hundred one area code trying to call in and it, and it cut off a couple of times. So, caller, keep trying. Um, I'm looking for you when you come on, Bruce. While we're waiting for the person to to hook up with us, um, are you working on the Beatles on Capitol Records Volume Two in digital right now? Have you started?
4: Yes, yes, I have. It's the one with the albums, and I'm I'm probably about fifty percent through. And you know, I'm adding, of course, things about. the songs that I've learned and some new things about the albums themselves and finding out some cool stuff. One of the things I'm working on now is that, you know, the album covered a Beatles six and you see the Beatles standing around and they're holding something. And I really wasn't sure what it was when I did the book low those many years ago, but it turns out that it was actually a very long cake knife. And the actual full photo I've seen now It was a big photo shoot done for Fabulous magazine in the U.K., and although that that picture didn't go in the magazine, Capital used it and cropped it. But what you don't see and where they cropped it is there's this traditional English Christmas cake surrounded by a bunch of red party crackers. And if any of your listeners out there have a good image of that, and I have a low-resolution image of it, but I need a good high-resolution image, by all means... uh, let Jude know or send it to me. Uh, my website's easy, you know, beetle.net. Uh, you can go there and see how to contact me. I'd love to get a really good, high-resolution image of it for the digital book. I'm trying to track it down. problem is we don't know who has the Fleetwood, uh, Fleetwood Publications and Fabulous Magazine archives, or even if they exist. But we're trying to track it down. But it was an interesting photo session that they did. A lot of people think Bob Whitaker took that picture because they're wearing the same clothes Mm-hmm. As the Four Seasons uh, photo shoot that Whitaker did, that was used on Beatles 65. It's not the same photographer. It's a guy named Bill Francis, who's been dead a few years. And the pictures they used ran in four consecutive issues of Fabulous magazine, which would have mm-hmm. articles and pinups ups of pop stars. The first issue it ran in had George holding boxes of Christmas presents on the cover the next issue had Paul and Ringo on the cover with holding a separated party cracker. Those were these yeah. tube like things, and you pulled on them and they let out this big popping sound. Yeah. They had yeah. peasants inside. Uh, and then the next issue had, uh, I think it was uh, Herman's Hermits on the cover, but the Beatles on the back cover with that Christmas cake, uh, but not the picture that's used on Beatles 6. And then, the, of course, the, the New Year's Eve issue had the Beatles standing around with champagne glasses, and George pouring a big bottle of champagne into one of the glasses. So it was a very productive photo shoot, and multiple photographers. uh, Bill Markham took uh, some of the pictures as well. So, And unfortunately, nobody seems to know what date that session took place on. If you know that, let us know. Mark Lewison contacted him. He said he's asked millions of people, and nobody knows what date that photo session took place. But we think now, it was so no cover.
3: one in the photographer's family is around anymore that no. would be able to, ah, uh, it's no. too bad.
4: No. Yeah, but anyway, it, it's at least, it's you know, neat to see what, what that cover was, and if someone can get me a high resolution or if I can find the archives and license it, you know, I'll definitely have it in the book, and it's, it's a pretty cool picture.
3: Yeah, it sounds fantastic, and when you're saying red party crackers, you're actually talking about the poppers. You're not talking about yes. a tray of, you're talking about the poppers. Okay, yeah, well, our caller,
2: okay.
3: right, our caller is on the line from 201, so let's see if we can bring him or her on. Caller from 201, you're on the John Lennon Hour.
2: Good evening, Jude. How are you? Al? Yes, it is.
3: Yay! I know that voice. It's so good to hear from you. How are you? Good, good, and yes. I know you two guys know each other quite well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. We have
2: spoken to each other in a very long time, almost... Twenty-six hours.
4: That sounds about right. Well, in that, we that time,
3: I bet you fact came fact, up with
4: something pretty we good were, to ask Bruce. <laughs> we were conspiring about what, we would be, what panel we would be doing at the Fest for Beatles fans in Chicago and decided we would try to kidnap Chuck Gunderson, who's written that wonderful Beatles tour book. And Al and I would be talking about the year 1965 for the Beatles in America. And, and so I think we're going to have a lot of fun with that. So, listeners out there, try to make it to Chicago for the fest for Beetle fans.
2: Yeah, we had a we had a ball doing it in uh, in New York, and uh, it's uh, it should be a lot of fun.
3: It Absolutely. sounds fantastic.
2: Yeah, fantastic. But I do have a, do have a question. Fire away. Okay, um, Bruce, gun to your head, which version of Rubber Soul do you take? Oh boy. The US
1: or the UK? Uh, Woo!
4: Sorry, sorry. Sorry Paul, sorry Ringo, sorry Yoko, sorry Olivia. I got the American album with me. Mm-hmm. Uh I think they're both brilliant albums, but what I like about the American album is that cohesive folk rock sound and you know, I just remember as a kid when I put that needle on the turntable and you know, I I've just seen a face leap just leap out of the speakers and just hooked you and, and dragged you in, and so I think I take that one. Uh, you know, it's a close call. I mean, maybe I should have said if I'm having steak, I'll have a you know, I'll take the British CD because it's more like red wine. But uh, you know, if I'm having lighter food, then I want the Rubber Soul U.S. version. That's a great well, question. You, you know, they're both brilliant. Yes. Which
3: which do you take, Al? Oh, uh,
2: it's it's tough, but I might I might go with the U.S. version. Only because those, um, you know, those two songs from uh, from the <laughs> from the, the second side of the Help album, yep. uh, Bruce, uh, Jude, and I had a fairly spirited email debate about
4: the two <laughs>
3: versions of Help.
4: Yeah. But, yeah. Well, uh, and those, it's those, they're and, different you know, animals, they you know. They are, and you know the the one thing that Capital didn't do on the hell on the rubber soul album that i would have done but i know why they didn't do it if you're doing an album of great folk rock sounds you would obviously include nowhere man the reason they did not include nowhere man was they knew that they wanted to have a hit single to come out a few months after the album in the u-s Capitol would release extra singles and so by not having it on the album when they released nowhere man it was to the U.S. a new beatles song and, of course, it became a new big Beatles hit. So right. that's why, you know, even though Nowhere Man would be perfect on that album. So if I was allowed to make one change to that album, I would have snuck Nowhere Man on it. Yeah. Right. Absolutely.
3: Yeah. yeah. Well, we will have to see if we can coerce Bruce to join us, Al, when we talk about 1965 with uh, Andrew Grant Jackson. and oh, what, two or three weeks, and see if we get Bruce to join us, we can all discuss 1965.
4: Oh, that'd be great, right. you know, even though I think 1964 in some ways was uh, was a better year. Um, there's nothing wrong with 1965 when you've got the great music of the Beatles and, and everybody else who was, you know, either influencing the Beatles or at the same time being influenced by the Beatles. So an incredible year, obviously. <laughs> oh, yeah. I love all the tweets that you're doing on
3: uh, all the records that were released in 65, Al. Really right. interesting. So tell mm-hmm. people your Twitter name so they can follow you and get all that information.
2: Uh, it's um, uh, at ASUS49.
4: A-S-U-S-S.
2: A-S-U-S-S 49.
4: A-S-U-S-S-S. And the four Very nine cool. means that Al is going to be 49 this summer. Is that correct, Al?
2: Uh, I have underwear older than 49.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. Well, Al, thank you so much for calling, and we'll see you in three weeks, and we'll ask Bruce if he'll join us, and we'll be talking about that great year, 65.
4: Sounds like fun.
3: Okay, thank you, Al.
2: Have a good night.
3: All righty, and you're very popular, Bruce. We have one more caller. Can you do one more? Of course. All right. Let's see. This is from area code nine five four. Hello, caller from nine five four area code.
1: Hello, Jim. Hey. Yes. Hello, Bruce.
3: Yes. Yes. Can you hear us? Yes.
1: I hear you loud and clear. This is Donnie G.
3: Yay, Donnie (laughs) G. We love Donnie G.
1: Absolutely, Donnie G. <laughs> we just had a uh, Beetle Brunch chat. First Thursday of every month, we go in to our uh, our Beetle Brunch Club chat room, and we shoot the breeze. Uh, yeah, it was a good turnout tonight, and I uh, uh, tried to get a few people to stop by and listen to the show. Oh, um, but really, um, more important, I was happy to see that Al uh, stopped by. Um, but. Uh, Bruce, I wanted you to uh zero in on something that um we've been doing on the website in the features mm-hmm. section mm-hmm. uh with a uh, a guy named Lou Abbott. He is a uh fabulous drummer. Uh he happens to be uh Uh, PhD in music, he has a PhD in music, and he teaches at a couple of the universities in South Florida. Uh, His uh, uh, forte, of course, uh, uh, with the drums, brings him into a very close uh, uh, thing with Ringo, and especially Mm -hmm. Ringo's style of playing drums, Mm -hmm. and all of us Beatles fans uh, get to a certain level with with uh with our uh, with the way that we uh enjoy the music and uh and so much uh, you know there's only so much of it that you can do and then you have to start analyzing it and breaking it mm-hmm. down like yeah uh, and this is what Lou has done and he has done it in a very uh succinct easy to follow Um, uh, way and uh, he just finished uh, this thing called Deciphering Paperback Writer (laughs) he did two others uh, Deciphering uh, Drive My Car was the first one uh, Mm -hmm. and then one other Deciphering Uh, and he intends to do enough where eventually he's going to put together a book Cool. Yeah, I mean that's, uh, that's great
4: and he and he's picked some songs. I mean Paperback Rider of course has a great riff and you know, it's one of the things where by this time in the studio, um, all three of the Beatles have these epiphone casino electric guitars mm-hmm. and um on paperback rider Paul is actually uh you know, playing on the track uh on his epiphone casino and uh on Rain, uh we now have photographic evidence that uh Paul also played lead guitar on rain and George played a bass part, which was later, uh, dubbed over with Paul putting his Rickenbacker track on. So, wow. but paperback writer is a fascinating song to break down. And it's one that when you see a Beatles tribute band, very few can really nail paperback writer.
1: Hmm. <laughs> well, I just thought it was a real neat thing, uh, that, he, uh, that Lou started, uh, and, uh, uh, and, you know, uh, of course Ringo's uh left handed uh, yeah. so his he plays a right handed kit and yeah. uh to the drummer um, they've always uh been able to uh, be unable to figure out how the hell Ringo got around those drums like he did.
4: Yeah. And
1: yeah. uh And and, and I think you
4: No you raise a yeah. great point in that I was at Abbey Road on the River recently and you know, in they have tons of Beatles tribute bands and you walk around and look, these guys are great drummers, but very few get the way the you know, the swing, the beat and everything that Ringo has. And mm-hmm. you know, there's one group from Puerto Rico, the Jukebox, Juan Carlos is a drummer. He gets Ringo mentally and just nails it. Most drummers <laughs> cannot do that. You know, this guy does yeah. and, and there are others out there of course uh you know you go see liverpool at the fest for beatle fans and all those guys nail everything uh you know but you're right it's he's a he's a very underrated drummer and you know my blood just boils when someone says ringo's the luckiest guy in the world he wasn't even that good a yeah. drummer you know i mean yeah. he's he's a fabulous drummer no doubt about yeah. it yeah
1: no no doubt about it the um you know the methods uh the the timing uh his uh way of uh arranging
4: you know, his I, I got to tell his, you, in, you know, his sneaky fills where you're listening to yeah. right breakbeat and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, boom, 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 Where did that come from? Right, right. Yeah, and
1: you know, and, and uh, the thing is, is that he knew exactly where to put those fills.
4: Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. Just
1: leaving enough room uh, for uh, you know for everything else to uh, you know take its uh, take its spot. But more important, how you uh, see how this uh, works out because people. Really, get get a bad uh, name. Uh, uh, this uh, this thing about uh, taking direction. Uh, you know that Paul always called the shots. Uh, he always pretty much yeah. told everybody what to do. You know, he's and they're you know, Musical directors do that kind of thing. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, you know, obviously. Give somebody the direction, but for that person to carry out that direction, that's a whole other thing you know it's a it makes a whole a lot of sense to know that uh you have to really know your way around uh, music. Mm-hmm. Well, I think you know in, take yeah,
4: direction I and mean, Donnie you you raise a great point, like let's say you know ticket to ride, Paul in his head had this great drum pattern. Right. and explained it to Ringo, and Ringo expertly executes it. And then, you know, um, you know, Girl, Don't Tell Me by the Beach Boys comes out, and you're thinking, gee, that session drummer that was used might have been Hal Blaine, whoever the Beach Boys used. Man, he's doing exactly what Ringo did on Ticket to Ride. You know, so, yeah. you know, you're right about that, that, um, you know, Ringo... Didn't just look at Paul and say, "Gee, Paul, I know you and John wrote the song, but I'm going to play the drums the way I want because I'm the drummer." It was like, right. "Oh, okay, that 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 could really work." Boom. Right. You know, or you take a song like "Get Back," where when you listen to the early versions of it, the, the drumming just doesn't work. And then either Ringo came up for it with it on his own, or someone suggested this rollicking drum thing. And all of a sudden, you listen to the drumming on "Get Back," and it's yeah, it's just incredible. So yeah. You know, I mean, as I've said, anyone who, you know, says that Ringo's not a good drummer just doesn't know what they're talking about. When you talk to drummers, drummers are the first to tell you how great a drummer he really is. Mm -hmm.
3: Mm -hmm. And and the ego never, Yeah, ego didn't get in the way. You know, he never let his ego get in the way. This taking direction thing that you're talking about only comes when you are confident enough in what you're doing, but you're not arrogant. Mm
1: Mm-hmm, yeah. Yeah, uh, he. I mean, he could have played any old damn thing, like you said, Bruce, but he came mm-hmm. up with, you know, some of these very intricate things that right. normal people would never come up with, uh, uh, that kind of stuff. Well, anyhow, just wanted to uh, jump in uh, to your game over here, you guys. Uh, fantastic show, as always, Jude. Thank you so Thank much. You. Thank uh, you, uh, And, Donnie. Bruce, I haven't talked to you in such a long time. We've got to stop being strangers.
4: Absolutely, Donnie G., and... <laughs> And Donnie T is instrumental behind Joe Johnson's Beetle Brunch, which, of course, if it's in your area, you absolutely should be listening to it on your weekend mornings.
3: And Donnie, well, we would love to have you guys back at the fest. We miss you so much. So um, keep us in mind.
1: All right, love you. Take care. I'm going to go now. Have a wonderful okay. night.
3: Thank you. All right. Thank you so much. See thanks for honey. calling in. Thank you. Yep, now, Bruce, I wanted to ask you when you did the Beatles on VJ on digital, You gave readers this bookmark, and you told them to figure out how to use it with the digital version.
4: What's the giveaway this time? Well, you know, I figured I would go ahead and, once again, if you order, you get uh, the capital book, you get what I call a signature card, because collectors want stuff. So it's like an image on one side of the front cover of the book, and then on the back this neat photo, photo of the Beatles, you know, from the Washington Coliseum show with space at the top for me to sign. And then I have what's called a collector's card. And for the singles book, you get the picture sleeves of all the Capitol Beatles singles on, you know, two sides of it in bright, full color. For part two, it's going to be the same type of thing, the cover of the book, and then the album covers on the collector's card. And uh, and because nobody was able to tell me how to load the bookmark into my ipad i figured i would include bookmarks for both parts of that so if you order the book on the website you can order it as getting part one by itself you know for fifty dollars or parts one and two for the reduced price of eighty dollars and you'll get part two the download as soon as it's available which should be hopefully you know by the end of the year and i know some people out there are saying well Gee, that sounds like a lot of money. It's aren't digital books, you know, sometimes $10 or so? Yeah, they are. But they're not 500 pages with full color and all sorts of other things. And, uh, you know, and I, I think what I did when I did the print books, you know, when I came out 15 years ago, whatever, you know, $50 right. for a book, you know, and now they're going for 300 on eBay. Uh, but the point being, the Beatles albums were often a, a dollar more than the yeah. others out there. But the thing is, the idea is, they always wanted to give people good value for their money and that's what I'm you know doing here where you're getting good value for your money you're getting a lot of information you're getting a lot of features and you know and 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 people might say well look all you did was scan in the old book and put it out no these are revised and mm-hmm. expanded editions and the photo licensing on these books can get to be very costly so you know you've got to sell a pretty good number of books just to to break even on covering yeah. your photo licensing fees and
3: Absolutely you know. Absolutely, oh, and I can it. attest to it's definitely expanded and revised. I've looked at both. I've had my hard version out along with my digital version, comparing and contrasting, and they're getting quite a bit of new information. So um, I can vouch for the fact that, that it's definitely worth investing in the new book. You're going to get new information, new photos, new discoveries, and it's it's well worth getting the second book. So make sure you get the digital version of of the Beatles on Capitol Records, Volume 1, as well as your physical copy. Now, um, you do have a newsletter that goes out regularly, and it's got updates and articles and info and things like that. So how can people get the newsletter?
4: Yeah, yeah if you go to my website, Beatle.net, uh, you can sign up for it. And, you know, it hasn't been too regular lately. I'm trying to get back more into it. But, you know, when we were approaching the 50th anniversary of the Beatles coming to America, I was doing something on a weekly basis with trivia questions. It was a lot of fun. And then something called my law practice caught up with me. And I realized, realized, you know, I just don't have the time to spend, like, you know, four or five hours putting this together. But I do hope to to get more things out there, and I do hope to be adding more articles to the site. I've been doing, rather than a daily thing or a weekly thing of 50 years ago, I've been doing a Beatle fan where every issue I'll do something on what was going on 50 years ago, you know, pretty much I might take an issue off every now and then. But these are kind of the fun things, and it focuses, of course, on the the music. So I think in the next issue of Beatle Fan, there's an article on the 50th anniversary of the release of the album Beatle 6. And the the issue after that, it'll be talking about the U.S. and U.K. help albums, and uh, you know, and so it's it's kind of a fun thing to do. And uh, for those of you out there that don't subscribe to Beetle Fan, you should. It's it's a great magazine. And you know, I mean, I know there are just so many things we're throwing at you that are that are great. But how many other groups would you have? You know, one percent of these things that you can do. If you want to expand your knowledge of the Beatles, it's it's so easy to do. And there's yeah. so many high quality things. You know, Jude Show, a Beetle Brunch. Uh, you know, Beatle Fan magazine, just, just so many ways that you can learn more about this great music.
3: And yeah, I was looking at some of your articles on Beatle Fan, and one that really hit me was the article that you did about the gold records that were being awarded to the Beatles 50 years after the fact. And that was yep. a very convoluted story. I mean, it. it It was one that you had a lot of different players who were involved in that. We only have about nine minutes left, but give us kind of a summary of what was going on with that.
4: Yeah, the gold record awards were put out by what was then called the Record Industry Association of America. It's now the Recording Industry Association of America. And what they would do, record companies would say, oh, this thing sold a million and give out a gold record. Well, nobody knew if they sold a million or not. So the right. RIAA would audit the the books, the accounting records, of the record companies that were claiming that this record sold a million. And so companies like Capital participated in the program, but a small label like VJ wasn't about to open up its books to the RIAA. For one thing, they probably were underreporting sales and not paying full royalties and didn't want their artists to know that. I hate to be that honest, but I'm being brutally honest. So, VJ <laughs> did not allow their books to be audited. So, when I was doing my first Beatles book, the Beatles records on VJ, you know, like 15 years ago or whatever, I was able to obtain from the former controller of the company the VJ books. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I mean, they're accounting records. And these should have been destroyed, you know, normally you keep them about six years. But she had put them in storage when VJ went bankrupt. And I purchased those from her, and being a, a CPA and an attorney, I was able to decipher them and put sales figures in my book. Uh-huh. And it dawned on me, and people had suggested to me, you know, don't you have information that could get these certified? So I contacted Capital Records, and then it was purchased by Universal Music Group, and, and there didn't seem to be a lot of interest in it for some reason. I guess, you know, they were just, you know, who oh, Who cares? But I thought I care, and other people care. Right. And I right. discussed it with with Apple, and Apple said, "Yeah, we should do this." And then Apple contacted Universal, and Universal said, "Of course, we should do this." So I went ahead and got my accounting worksheets and flew up to New York. I guess I guess it was last summer, and mm-hmm. met with the CPA firm that the RIAA has to do the audits. And it was great fun. We got up these green ledger sheets, and none of the young kids in the firm had ever seen these ledger sheets before, and the senior partner in the firm, although he normally didn't do an RIAA audit, took part in it because to him it was like, you know, going back in time, and we cross-footed everything and ran the tapes and the whole bit, and at the end of uh, two days it was determined that the album introducing the Beatles was gold and platinum. That the single please, please me was gold and platinum. That twist and shout was gold and platinum. That do you want to know a secret was gold, barely missing platinum. And uh, that love me do was gold and platinum. So we essentially got five gold records, four of which were also platinum. And we can get later on if we want to, do you want to know a secret certified platinum? Because we did certify sales of over 920,000 and in the U.S. alone, it sold digital units in excess of 80,000. So yeah. if you add the two, it's now platinum. And I guess at some point in time, we'll get around to having that happen. But, you know, it was a really fun process and, um, you know, kind of exciting to to be able to go back and, and get these to uh, have the certifications that they deserved. Uh, and these records sold more than that. Uh, for the RIAA, you have to use actual sales. And... What record companies typically did at the time to screw the artist on royalties, all these little things, because royalties were paid on copies sold. So they in their contracts would allow themselves to say, if you buy nine records, you get one free. So Mm -hmm. in effect, what they were doing is they were selling 10 records at a reduced price per unit. But because they did buy nine, get one free, rather than the Beatles getting royalties on those 10 records, they would only get them on nine
1: and right. when we counted
4: sales, we could only count nine rather than ten. Oh. So do you want to know a secret actually sold over a million copies? Or let's put it this way, more than a million copies went out to people who walked home with that record. But for official actual sales, for purposes of the audit, it was 920. And bear yeah. in mind that VJ, if they did fudge anything, they fudged on the downside, of course.
3: Yeah, Because they didn't exactly.
4: want to pay the royalties. So, But it was a fascinating thing. and. And I've always said if you could certify counterfeit albums, the counterfeit Introducing the Beatles would be probably quadruple platinum. Wow.
3: <laughs> quadruple platinum. I
4: mean, wow. You know, just, just go to any you know flea market and see how many counterfeit copies of Introducing the Beatles you come across. Mm-hmm. And for those of you going, how do I tell the difference? If you get the VJ book and you bring it with you, To any flea market you go, you'll see all the real labels and what the fake labels look like, and you'll never buy a counterfeit copy of *Introducing the Beatles* unless you're doing it on purpose.
3: Yeah, and and you detail it for them because we had our copy of the LP out one night, going step by step through everything you had listed, and we thought we had a valuable one until the very last step, and we're like, (laughs) oh no. We don't. You know, well, you are, we've only got about four minutes left, but believe it or not, we are eight weeks away from the Chicago Fest for Beatles fans. Do you know what you'll be talking about at the Fest? Do you have any idea yeah, when you'll be presenting?
4: Pretty good idea. Friday night I'll be on a late-night panel with Al Sussman, probably Chuck Gunderson, talking about Beatles 65 in the U.S., You know, the tours, the music, uh, what radio was like at the time um Saturday probably around noon in the Grand Ballroom I'll be giving a talk on um the Beatles story on Capitol Records part 1 the singles so I'll go through all those great singles uh you know that were we'll put out and be talking about that I think I might also might be covering the albums in that one as well I'm not sure but it will be on The Beatles on Capitol be a lot of fun and then Sunday I'll be giving a talk on The Beatles in 1965 as far as what they released, uh, and I'll be playing some of the music. It'll be in one of the smaller rooms, so it'll be more intimate, and we'll go through a lot of the outtakes and how the song's progressed. I'll do about four different takes of help so you can hear you know, how the song ended up being the single that we're used to hearing, and you know, who knows, whatever, but I'll of course be around selling hardbound books also. If you want to look at the digital book on my iPad, by all means do so, and you can order it there as well, and Things like that. It'll be fun. If anyone has any questions, just drop by the table and say hello. And between now and then, the website's dead easy. It's just beetle, B-E-A-T-L-E dot net. Doesn't get any easier than that, you know?
3: That's absolutely right. Well, Bruce, thank you so much for being here. The Beatles on Capitol Records Volume 1, fantastic. Love the physical version, and I really love the digital version. There's so much in there that... I've enjoyed it immensely as I've been working with it this week. And my apologies, we had one caller who did not get a chance to get on tonight to ask his or her question. But we will have Bruce back again. Bruce, are you game to come back and join that that group for the 1965 show?
4: That'd be great. Send me an email about it and let me check my schedule. If my schedule permits, I'd love to do it.
3: That will be great. Thank you so much. And next week, we'll be talking about the Beatles at Shea Stadium and the Beatles in Cleveland with Dave Schwenson. Two great books. If you haven't read them, grab them this week and read them, and he'll be here to talk about the appearances of the Beatles in Cleveland and also that wonderful, wonderful, memorable appearance at Shea Stadium. And until next week, from Louisiana, Bruce Beiser and I tell you, ta and shine on.